Hi, everyone. This is the 50 States High Pointing Podcast and YouTube channel. What started off as a project for a communications class has turned into something that I actually love doing. I have the privilege of providing the platform for people to talk about the extraordinary things they do in the outdoors. High pointing is the challenge of reaching the highest elevation in each of the 50 states. High pointers don't get paid for their hobby, no one is sponsored by an outdoor company, and people fit this challenge into their everyday lives that also include careers and family. I found through these interviews that people who attempt this challenge are incredible and genuinely enjoy talking about their experiences. If you consider yourself a high pointer and you want to share your story on this podcast or interview, please send me an email at 50 states high pointing podcast at gmail.com. It has been a pleasure speaking with every high pointer. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 50 states high pointing podcast. I'm your host, Lauren, and the high pointers that we're speaking with today are Austin and Nicole calling from South Carolina. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So Austin and Nicole have a really interesting story and I can't wait to get into it. They're calling from South Carolina as that is their temporary home, but they're going to tell us all about their adventures on the road and their high pointing that they've done along the way. So you can find them on Instagram at where they beignet. And I will also put that in the show notes to the podcast and on the YouTube channel. So let's get started. Um, Austin, Nicole, can you guys tell us how you got into high pointing? Sure. Uh, so I got out of the Marines in the end of 2016 and I moved to Denver. And throughout 2017, 2018, I was doing the 14ers in Colorado, which are all the peaks in Colorado that are above 14,000 feet. And while I was there, I did uh, a dozen of them. I did three in the winter time. Um, just really tried to knock out as many as I could. And one of those happened to be Mount Elbert, which is the highest peak in Colorado. And so I had done the high point in Colorado and that was in 2019. And then in 2020, I was a part of uh, veterans expeditions which is a nonprofit group that takes veterans from all branches out and does a variety of outdoor activities with them. Um, but that specific year in August, their trip was Kings Peak, uh, which is in Utah. And it's also the high point of Utah. So mm -hmm. I flew from Denver to Utah, to Salt Lake City, and met up with a few other veterans. And we did a 30-mile round trip, uh, backpacking trip through the high Uintas wilderness and that's where I, yeah, it's awesome. Um, and that's where I summited King's Peak. And so that, that was my second official high point. And that's actually where I met some other people who were high pointing. And they told me what they were doing. There were three uh, younger folks from Tennessee. And they told me, hey, we're flying to all these different places around the United States. We're climbing the highest peaks in these states. And I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. I've already done two of them now. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's kind of like where I first heard about it. And then the next year, um, so this would have been 2021. Um, I scheduled a trip with three Marine buddies of mine to climb Mount Shasta in Northern California and then Mount Hood in Oregon. And, uh, Mount Hood, Mount Hood is the, uh, tallest peak in Oregon. 
Um, unfortunately, we had to actually switch plans last second with Shasta um, because there was too much of a rockfall danger. Uh, it was an exceptionally warm um, season. And so we ended up doing Mount Adams up in Washington instead. Um, and we successfully summited Hood, uh, the four of us. Um, and that was my third high point. And so I had three done just on my own time. And then uh, Nicole and I began our adventures in the van together. And we decided together that wherever we drove in the van, if we were anywhere near uh, State High Point, we were going to do our best to tackle it, whether it was her or me or both of us together. Um, whichever state we went to, we were going to try to do the high point. That is so cool. So how long have you been in the van? We were in the van for, was it 15 months? 15 months? Yeah. Okay. Just wow. traveling around the country. Yeah. <laughs> so where did the van start? Um, well, got built in Denver. And okay. then we went and visited a friend down in Mobile, Alabama. And that's kind of where we were working out all the kinks. So technically, our full-time van travels started in, like, Louisiana. And we've pretty much made a whole loop around the U.S. So we came over, did the south, um, and came up pretty much the eastern seaboard all the way up to Maine. And then... Oh. All yeah, all the way up, <laughs> and then through, through New York, uh, all well, New England and New York, and then down back to the Midwest to visit our families, and then like north, and then over, and just back down along the coast and the whole southern wow. border, the whole southern border. Yeah, and now yeah. we're back in. <laughs> so you've yeah. made a full circle. Full circle. full circle. Yeah. 15 yeah. months later, we get a full circle. Yeah. Wow. So can you talk about some of the high points that you've done along the way, starting in Alabama? Sure. Yeah. Um, that would have been our first one as Chiha Mountain mm -hmm. in Alabama. Um, we hiked that one after we had driven by the high point in Florida. And oh, yeah. we totally <laughs> forgot to go. Uh, so we missed, we missed the first opportunity, which was Britain Hill in Florida. So we will have to go back for that. Wait, um, you, you drove so, by it. You just didn't get out of the car. Yeah. We I mean, drove, we drove, we weren't that close. We were okay. like maybe 30, 40 minutes away, but this was oh. before we actually decided we were going to do the high points. Um, okay, I thought it was like you drove by and you could see it out the window, but you just didn't get out the car. I was like, I mean, you basically did it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We, we weren't sure we were gonna we were gonna high point at that point, and so okay. we ended up heading north. We did uh, Alabama's, and then we went over to Mississippi. We did Woodall Mountain over there, and then we headed back east over to Georgia, and we did Brasstown Bald, which is the high point of Georgia. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we ended up just, like she said, going up the eastern seaboard, um, knocking out any of the state high points um, that we could get to uh, all the way through New England. And then we stopped at, we did not do Katahdin because we have two dogs that live with us in the van. Okay. And um, Baxter State Park, uh, I believe they do not allow dogs in Baxter State yeah. Park there. Yeah. So we had to put that one aside, but we did knock out 
Mount Washington in New Hampshire. We did Mount Mansfield in Vermont. Um, and then we were going to do Mount Marcy in New York. And we had a two-day window set aside for it, but the weather was awful. It was just oh. thunderstorm after thunderstorm. And we waited and waited. And then we said, okay, we'll do it some other time. Sure. Yeah. So what was your favorite high point in the South? Probably, I don't know, Brastown Bowl, I think. Mm -hmm. It's probably yeah. the one with the best view. <laughs> oh, okay. Brastown Bowl. Okay. Yeah. Panoramic 360 view. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I feel like for me it was uh, Guadalupe Peak in Texas. Um, oh, sure. If, if we let us the southern one, um, mm -hmm. just because it's such a high elevation, it's above 8,000 feet. And you can see all the gypsum salt flats around it because there's wow. so much prominence there on Guadalupe Peak. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that's probably my favorite, I'd say. Yeah. For doing the whole okay. south. Yeah. yeah. What about along the east coast? My favorite out here was Mansfield in Vermont. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I just thought the hike was super cool because we went from the bottom. We didn't drive up and mm -hmm. dogs were allowed. So we all got to go together. And oh, fun. Yeah, that was, it was cool. I mean, it's a long, hard, hard hike. Not okay. the hardest, but it was challenging. And... I don't know, on the way up, there's just so many opportunities just to look out and look into the valley and just see yeah. the layers of the mountains, and it was gorgeous. And then getting up to the top where there's the alpine tundra, like, that's the last little mm -hmm. bit of it. So to see that was really cool. Um, and it was just really cool to look into both both valleys from the yeah. top. Um, wow. It was, it, we were up there on a, like, a beautiful day it was just partly cloudy so there were like sun rays coming down and the mm. layers were gorgeous the trail was really wet though the trail like a waterfall yeah <laughs> it was after like it was, it was after finishing. some rains, so there was just water running down the trail it was like yeah. we were hiking up a waterfall but that made it even more yeah. special sure the way back yeah the way back down we went on a different route it was barely marked and it was just super green super forested and you're just kind of walking down like a creek bed almost and wow. it was it's like a magical fairy forest mm -hmm. I, I, yeah 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 <laughs> it's cool. well some people say on the podcast that the hikes that were the hardest were the most memorable you know even if there's not like yeah. a panorama view at the top they're like mm -hmm. they don't really remember those easy ones but they remember the hard ones yeah that's true I'd agree with well, that. In that case, yeah. I really remember uh, Mount Hood. <laughs> yeah. One of my most memorable high points was actually uh, something probably none of your um, interviewees have said, which was Mount Sunflower in Kansas. I have not, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I grew up in western Kansas, um, just a couple okay. hours away from the high point, and oh. I grew up hearing about Mount Sunflower. And so I knew of it my entire childhood, but I had never been out there before. So together we were able to drive our van out there to Mount Sunflower, which is actually above 4,000 feet elevation. Um, Cause it's on the, it's rising up to the Rocky mountains. And uh, it's just a really special place for me. Cause it's, it's home. And it used yeah. to be the bottom of an ancient seabed. So there's all kinds of cool geology around that area. Oh, um, but really, yeah, um, but really it is just an open field. There's cattle walking around, 
Uh, it's just a field out in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. Yeah. And she has, I, mean, I, I can <laughs> see how, like, if you've been hearing about that your whole life, um, the first time you see it probably as an adult is really memorable. Yeah, definitely was. Another thing out there that we didn't know existed out there were the pronghorns. We had no idea pronghorns lived in Kansas. Yeah. yeah. We were driving yeah. by and I was like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> we're like, why is it? We could not figure out what we were seeing. And then we realized it was a pronghorn antelope. And I did not know they were in Kansas where I grew up. Wow. Oh, yeah, that's right. You grew up there. Yeah. yeah. I had never seen one before. Nicole, what are some of your most memorable high points throughout the country? I mean, other than Mansfield. Other than Mansfield. Um, well, I mean, playing off what Austin said. I mean, partial to Nebraska, you know, homeland. Oh, sure. yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't realize there was a bison farm out there, and it was in the middle of a bison field. But also, it's Nebraska, so it's just kind of... Everything, everything that you see driving through Nebraska is just what Panorama Point is. Yeah. It was very flat. There were a lot of sunflowers, <laughs> which were very... Oh, cool. Fields yeah. of sunflowers. It was more sunflowery than Mount Sunflower. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, another one I really did like was White Butte in North Dakota. Mm. Okay. That, it mm -hmm. was super hot. We were there on a really hot day, but it was his birthday. Oh, it was my birthday. It was his birthday, yeah. and... We took the dogs, and the nice thing about this one is that the hike was actually shorter than everybody said, and that's normally not the case. Oh, right. <laughs> so that was yeah. nice, uh, but it was it was cool because it's just you know similar landscape to what we grew up with, just farmland. But then you drive out to this butte. It wasn't a hard hike, but it was hot. Yeah, there's some good geology down at the beginning of it. You have to walk through this like rancher's fence. I believe it's private land. Mm -hmm. So they actually ask you to donate um, just to keep the access going for high pointers. Yeah. Um, so we walked through this this fence, and there's some really interesting geology down at the bottom. And then we snaked up around um, just like a small hill, and we came into this prairie grass, and it was mm -hmm. almost like thigh high. And then all of a sudden, our dogs disappeared. <laughs> Because uh, they're they're both you know mid mid sized black black lab <laughs> dogs, they disappeared, and I was like, I hope there's no snakes in here. You could just see Alpine's tail. <laughs> you could just see their tails <laughs> above the grass. Oh gosh, <laughs> that was that was a good one because that was on my uh, that was on my thirty third birthday. Yeah, I got one more with birthdays, by the way. One oh, more yeah. story. Oh yeah, tell us. Okay, so another one of my most memorable high points uh, was the Mount Hood trip that I took with the three other Marine buddies of mine. Mm -hmm. um, we were there on June 3rd, and we had set up camp at 9,000 feet. This was above Timberline Lodge on mm -hmm. Mount Hood. Um, so we camped there the night prior at 9,000 feet, and then we got up at 2 in the morning, and that's when we went to the summit. Um and once we summited, we were up on top and I had a sign that I had made beforehand and it said, you know, Mount Hood Summit, but then it said, happy birthday, mom, underneath it, um, because it was my mom's birthday on June 4th. So Aww. I got to, <laughs> I got to summit uh, Mount Hood on her birthday and it's even more special because she lives beneath Mount Hood. She lives down in the Columbia River Gorge in oh Oregon. Gosh. Oh, how cool. So I, I was looking down at her when I was up on yeah. top. 
Oh, I bet she loved that. She did. Yeah, it was <laughs> fantastic. So you guys have been all around the country. What is your favorite part of the country? Oh, we always get this question. <laughs> and I think <laughs> we're never prepared. We're never ready for it. Um, it's hard because every part of the country is so different, so unique, and it's just something different to offer. And mm-hmm. sometimes when we're in the mountains, I'm like, oh, let's go. I like, I wish we were in the South. Like, I miss the charm of the South. And then now that we're here, I'm like, man, I really miss the Rocky Mountains or like the volcano up in the Pacific Northwest. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. We we, <laughs> we really wanted to go to the desert when we were up in Washington. We were getting snowed on all winter and we're like, we need to go down to Arizona and New Mexico, mm-hmm. just go down to the desert. And we did. And we got down there and then we're like, oh, well, you know, we missed the Spanish moss and like the good yeah. Southern food. Yeah. And so then we kept on coming over here, went east. And mm-hmm. the U.S. is truly spectacular uh, yeah. with all the different geography, but also each state has its own like microculture, microcultural differences that we've discovered traveling around the U.S. It's it's just it's amazing to see all the differences, whether you're on the East Coast or West Coast. And I mean, we've really done our best to try to immerse ourselves in all of the different geographies and microcultures we can find here. I agree. And like you guys, when I I lived in North Carolina before I moved to Arizona. And so I was like, I cannot wait to get to the desert where there's no humidity, just sunsets forever. And um and now I'm like, you know, a tree, I wouldn't mind a tree. I wouldn't mind grass, <laughs> maybe, you know. <laughs> or like in the monsoon when it rains here, it's like you don't smell the you know plants or the soil or anything you just smell like wet rocks (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like i I kind of miss that um and i know you know we're moving out we have to go back to north carolina for my husband's job and um i know i'm gonna miss the desert and we're along the border here so i'm gonna miss the food Mm -hmm. and and all that so (laughs) yeah 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 so I'm going to sprinkle in some van questions and some high pointing questions here, just because like, I'm so fascinated by your lifestyle. And so this is a very unique interview, obviously. And so I I want to, I want to just ask all the questions that I personally have. Tell us all why you started driving around the country in a van. Hmm. Well, (laughs) uh, so I built the van myself. This was in the beginning of, 2021. Um, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it for a long period of time. So I didn't want to invest a lot of money in it up front. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of vans that you find on the market are very expensive, some prohibitively expensive. I and I, <laughs> I figured I could uh, DIY it for um, something more reasonable. And then I finally did it for three months, it wouldn't be a big deal, I could sell the van or whatever. Um, so I, I built the van. It took me about five months, um, working about 12 hours a day, uh, just really put my heart and soul into building this thing. Um, and I did everything in the van from plumbing to electrical carpentry. I just, it was a massive project, massive undertaking. It was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, but when I finished, I had this, you know, 
this van, this result of all my hard work. Um, and it was mine. And, uh, at that point, uh, Nicole and I were together and we decided, okay, this is the time we Mm -hmm. both have a break in our jobs. Um, and we have nothing tying us down. Uh, nothing Mm -hmm. was tying us at the time. So we decided to go for it and we didn't know where we were going to go other than the very first spot, which was our friend's house down in Mobile, Alabama. That was our, that was our (laughs) launching point. Um, we just knew we wanted to go to the South because it was the winter and we knew we could, uh, winter down in the South. But other than that, we had no other plans. We didn't know. We, we talked Mexico. We talked Canada. We talked driving to Alaska, Nova Scotia. Um, we had no idea we would end up doing 43 States, uh, over the next 15 months. We had no clue at that time. Yeah. What's funny is before all of this happened we were both still working but when we met the first conversation we had was like well what do you want to do with your life and it's just we both answered with we want to live in a van and travel (laughs) yeah yeah for as long as we can find a way to make it work and it worked we're here that's so awesome i mean but that's like that's for a lot of people you're living out their dream because a lot of people look at that lifestyle and think, well, I can't afford it. I can't leave my Mm -hmm. job. Or um, I have the money, but I don't have the time. Or things are tying me down. It's kind of the dream, you know, to just pick up Mm -hmm. and go where and when you want. I know there's a lot of people where I am in Yuma, Arizona that come uh, during the winter with, you know, either a camper or a van or something because the weather's so perfect here. But in the summer, they are gone. (laughs) because it is no one wants to be here and so you can just chase this nice weather and this adventure and stuff and I think a lot of people are maybe a little scared to do it um, because there's also a lot of logistics involved it's not just um, and and I'm just guessing you can correct me but I don't think it's just pick up and go (laughs) there's planning right a lot of planning yeah I I would say that for both of us um, our lives, you know, they ebbed and flowed in all these different directions. And we had all sorts of circumstances going on that maybe prior to this time prevented us from doing the van life journey. Um, it's just in that one moment when we finally came together and we both had an opening, we said, let's do it. Let's go for it and not look back. But as far as logistics go, it is dangerous at times. Um, yeah. Just being just by nature of being on the road constantly, um, there's a lot of hazards you have to watch out for. Um, so there are some dangers involved with it. Uh, you need to be very careful where you camp. Um, sure. We only try to camp in trusted spots where we can see that other people had camped there previously. Uh, we try to plan out our routes well well in advance, about a week or two in advance. Um, and that's so we can hit all the wickets that we want to hit, but also so we have more of an idea of where we're sleeping at night. Uh, some of our most stressful moments are when we rolled into a spot and we had nowhere to sleep. Yeah. How does that happen? Are they full? Well, sometimes, well, because we use the app iOverlander, and sometimes we'll go to a spot and it just doesn't work for our van, or there's oh, okay. new, new signs up that nobody recently had been there and 
like a a law changed recently in the town or something like that or we get there and it's a lot sketchier than people said and sure. we don't feel comfortable staying there so um yeah yeah I know in uh, Tucson, I spent some time in the winter in Tucson, and there are a lot of people in their vans out there. And I think that you're not allowed to sleep in your car parked on the street. Correct. Yeah. A van or whatever. And so people were renting out a space in their driveway, like on Airbnb. And, mm. uh, Smart. And, yeah. yeah. And, and, also and sketchy. Were, but... <laughs> right. But yeah, um, yeah that happened. Uh, we found Arizona to be a little more challenging than some of the other states. Uh, okay. Certain parts of California were a bit more challenging. Um, mm -hmm. Usually overnight camping is banned at the county level. So not only would we, you know, research where we were going, but then we'd have to also research overnight camping bans and things like that oh, um, okay. as we yeah. went. So some of the apps can definitely help guide you in the right direction. Uh, the easy way out is just to camp on Bureau of Land uh, Management land, BLM land. Uh, typically, you can stay for 14 days up on, uh, on that type of land, and it's free. Generally, it's free. Um, mm -hmm. So out west, that's great. Out east, you can't really find that. Um, no. So out, out east, it's uh, definitely harder to find camp spots with the van. Uh, it was especially challenging up in New England. Once you go east of Colorado, it becomes a little more challenging. Uh, what they do have out here are called WMAs. They stand for Wildlife Management Areas. And these are areas that the states manage for hunting purposes. Um, but generally, you can camp on them for free. Uh, so what we do, we'll find a WMA and we'll just drive in a tiny bit, like just into the driveway of it. because. Obviously, yeah, if there's, we don't want to go too far. <laughs> we don't want to go too far, but we've had pretty good luck with that. It's okay. to me, it's like the eastern equivalent of of BLM. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, but also Walmart. Yeah, we frequent frequent in Walmarts out here. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. There's uh, a lot of vans at Walmart, Cracker Barrel, and Planet Fitness. Yeah, Lowe's, Home Depot, uh, park and rides. We went to a lot of park and rides up in New England. Um, trailheads. 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 Uh, beach parking lots. Yeah. Uh, boat ramps. I mean, you name it, we've probably slept there. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've seen some vans um, in San Diego, like along a marina. I think it's mostly to try to keep homeless out and keep oh. it from looking grungy. Okay. Uh, I I'm assuming um, because we've been to towns where there aren't any bands and there's a high homeless population. A lot of them are in like RVs, yeah, planted downtown, stationary like, RVs. They they're yeah. not moving them and no tires on them. Oh, yeah. interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah, they're just in in spot. encampments, basically. Yeah. I think counties see stuff like that and that's that's their way of dealing combating that and dealing with that is to just enact all out bans on on anybody camping overnight whether sure. you're in an RV or a van or whatever it may be or a car mm -hmm. we ran into plenty of people who live in their cars maybe they're just like down on their luck and they live in their cars in a parking lot um, okay. 
I mean, we've, we've run into people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds. We try our best to get to know them and hear their story. Cause it's fascinating to us just to see, um, you know, wh why are you here and what's your story? We haven't met many van lifers. I mean, we talk to people on Instagram a lot, but I think we've only actually met like four different oh. people slash couples. Okay. Like in person. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> we don't really go to, we didn't find ourselves going to like the van meetups. There's a lot of big van meetups and schoolie meetups. And they're, yeah, I've seen a yeah, schoolie in Grand Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Usually we were just off doing our own thing. Um, okay. but we did, we did meet a few, uh, van folks and we've stayed in touch with them. And when we were up in our cabin, uh, that we were in, in Washington, we had a couple of them come stay with us. Um, fun. Yeah. yeah, it was really, it was really cool. Played a lot of board games and, you know, sat around the campfire and everything like that. Wow. Is we also don't van life the way a lot of people think van lifers van life. Like, yeah, we're okay, not so explain that because I have an idea of what van life is. And I can tell you that idea is based off of, you know, stuff I've seen on YouTube or like reels or something about this is my day in a life living in a van. And mm -hmm. it's just this picturesque ideal. Like, why don't you do it too? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, can we get a real story? <laughs> right. I why mean, I tell think us, why don't you tell right. us the difference, the reality versus the expectations or vice versa? Yes. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, the point is to be out in nature and see things and travel. Yeah. But for a lot of people, too, it's to go to the gatherings and to make friends and to join that community. And that's why those um, meetups just keep getting bigger and bigger. Like Schoolie Palooza happened, and then a bunch of groups from Schoolie Palooza went down to Baja. And there was a big meetup down in Baja. Okay. And like we, that's one side of it. Say. Yeah. The community aspect. Like they it. all just hang out in the desert for weeks um, or they meet up in the mountains and go rock climbing for a couple weeks. Like, so we're moving is, as a community. Whereas what's like the like, size of these meetups? Is this like a Coachella or a, or a, uh, what's that dead man thing in the desert? What's it called? Oh yeah. They're, Burning they're getting, is it, is it yeah. Size? I wouldn't okay. say not yet, not yet, okay. but it's, they're definitely getting larger and larger. Um, yeah. But they're also, we meet a lot of van folks, van dwellers who are just doing their own thing. They want to yeah. go visit their long lost friends and family. Uh, they want to maybe take like a break from society and just be on their own, you know, out mm -hmm. in nature. Um, We've met people from all the different camps, uh, all the different ways of, of doing van life. But the one thing I would say is all the, you know, fancy reels you watch online <laughs> that show someone like looking out their door and there's just oh, like yeah, this picture. Always how it starts. <laughs> it's like, it's like 5% of van life. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> we have had those moments and we cherish those moments so much and we'll do the all the other photos too. We're like, oh, we finally got an opportunity. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say like on a monthly basis, that sort of uh, experience may happen like five times. 
But that's that's the way we travel for some people if we decided to stay in that spot for a week. Then we I mean we could have that out of our kitchen window mm-hmm. every day, but we are at the moment we were at the club of we're traveling a lot around to see friends and family and to mm-hmm. just move, keep moving and keep seeing things and find a place maybe we want to live or maybe we'll want to keep doing this for a lot longer and just kind of checks kind of checks states off, but just to experience it and to experience different people and cities and towns and, yeah, and all that. And one of the, the, well, the first van lifer we met on the road, we were in Florida, Pensacola, Pensacola, Florida. And this guy rolls up and he's got a van that has signatures all over it. And he lived, he lives in his van full time, but he works full time too. So yeah. he lives up in Massachusetts. Massachusetts and he works for the VA. And he has a, he has a dog and he sends it to doggy daycare, but he lives out of his van and he's building it and he's super cool. He just, uh, he's heading down to Arizona now, but he'll we, just we take signed like, his van. Yeah. We signed his van. <laughs> he, yeah. His thing is to, whenever he meets new people is to have them sign his van and oh he'll just take like a couple weeks off and drive somewhere and then drive back mm-hmm. and go back to work. And- so his van is like truly his home. He works out yeah. of it. He lives in it. Yeah. Um, but it's another way of doing van life. Yeah. Like there's alternative no, way. There's no right way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, that definitely clears up the picture that I had. But it's always like some girl um, opening up the curtain, just like you described. And then it's like, and then I make my oatmeal and there's all of these bougie ingredients in it and it's like and then i start work and she opens up a laptop it's a blank screen like she doesn't work yeah. and- <laughs> i consider those folks to be like weekenders um, okay yeah, a lot of them are because most of the time in our van at least like we're moving every single day we're just trying to meal prep as much as possible like it's nothing fancy it's just calories and hearty food to keep us going and Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of like picturesque moments like that um day to day because we're going to rest stops and we're going to like visitor centers um for state parks or national parks or whatever there's a lot of logistics in between all that that maybe Mm -hmm. those reels account for yeah um we have to stop and fill up gas all the time and check our tire pressure. And we have to dump our gray water, um, which is our sink water. And we also have, um, you know, we go to the bathroom in our van. So we have to dump that and deal with that. Uh, we got to buy food. We have a small fridge in the van. Um, so you don't have a week's worth of food. You have like three days worth of food. So every three days we're buying fresh groceries. Um, so we're constantly like stopping in all these little small towns as we go uh, to refill, replenish, plan, get Wi-Fi because Nicole was working while we were traveling um, part time. So we had to find Wi-Fi for her. Um, so it was challenging. There were definitely days where we would just like lay back on the bed and just lay there all day. It was just a total rest day. Yeah. Um, and not to mention we have two not small dogs that live in the van with us. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's no floor space and it's yeah. They add a whole uh, they add a whole new dimension to yeah. van life. Because then you're worrying about heat and cold with the dogs. 
yeah. and then you've got to bring their food and you've got to carry a lot more water on you. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you have to see if the state parks will allow dogs like in Maine. Yeah. Yeah. National so, parks are really hard. Although I will say great. Acadia is like probably the most dog friendly national park we've been to. Really? Um, mm-hmm. Super dog friendly. They're allowed mm-hmm. on the buses. They're allowed on most oh, trails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's they <laughs> they became bark rangers. Oh, I've heard of that program. That's so cute. Yeah. It's cool. Park Ranger tags now. Oh, gosh. Some of the national parks are very challenging with dogs. Uh, So overall, 15 months, everyone would assume we did a lot of national parks. Uh, We do have the national parks pass. We would love to do all the national parks. Um, We ended up doing 16, which Mm -hmm. is a lot. I mean, we're very grateful we did 16. we could have done many more. It's just dogs. Uh, sometimes with us, it was really challenging to figure out the logistics of, okay, are you going to go into the park today? And then we're going to switch or oh, should we kennel the dogs or like, do we have friends nearby that we can drop them off with? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was challenging with the dogs. Yeah. You mentioned you're a veteran. I uh, have this sitting next to my computer here. It's my America, the beautiful pass Nice. for military. Get yep. yep, that's what we've got. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not like the price of a national park is keeping people out of it, but it's just like <laughs> a nice thing to have. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and when we went through Texas, we got a free state parks pass. I think it's called the like Texas Parklands Passport or something like that. And then yeah. Uh, yeah. being a better. Um, and then when we went through Oregon, we also got a state parks pass in Oregon. So there are some states where you don't have to be a resident. Um, as long as you're a veteran, you can get some form of park benefit there. That's cool. That's that's fun. I'll have to research that. So have yeah. your dogs been to any high points? Yeah. Uh, we didn't count up how many they've been to, but mm. probably at least, I'd yeah. say half of them. Really? So at least, probably like 12. Yeah. I mean. That's pretty good. Some, yeah, all of the southern ones definitely, or the southeast, I should say, and mm-hmm. I think most of the east coast. Yeah, I'd say they did half with I, us. I think that's cool. The one, the one that they couldn't do was Washington. Mm-hmm. So I went halfway with them, uh, went up to that camp up there, and hung oh out sure, while, okay, yeah, like the rest of the way. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that that is one thing about our high pointing journey is that we're doing this together. We live in the van together. We've got our dogs. It's our house. Um, so we trade off sometimes when we high point, I don't know specifically like what my number of high points are versus hers. Um, we do them together. So with the, with the restrictions we sometimes have, like Nicole, she did Driscoll mountain in Louisiana as, as a high point. Um, Mm -hmm. but together in the van, you know, we're, we're just tallying them together in the van. Cause for us, it's, it's about the journey together to get to these high points. It's not so much like, do I need to stand on top, you know, each one of us? That's a good method. I mean, you guys are doing this whole journey together. So, mm-hmm. you know, why not share in the accomplishment, whether you're helping with the dogs at the base of the mountain or standing on the top? I think that's cool. 
That's right. Yeah. yeah. Someone's always got to make lunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into some of the not pretty parts of high pointing. Can you tell us about some of the high points that didn't go according to plan? Well, for me, the ones that I've experienced that weren't so great was actually Rhode Island was one of them that was rough. I mean, parking the big van on the side of the highway is a little scary. And then, uh, and then it was just super buggy and the high point wasn't, isn't super clearly marked or we just missed it, but we were just walking around like in a mosquito swarm trying to find the high point. (laughs) We just, and then we were just getting annoyed and frustrated. And as we're walking back to the van, Alpine, my dog got out of his collar and just started running around. Just off. He was in the highway and he, just, he was just excited and confused and was just like running around. And then he ran over into the neighbor's yard and it was just, he found, I think he found a ball. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's how we caught him because he always brings a ball to me, but that was scary. And whoever the lady <laughs> is who lives next to uh Jeremoth Hill in Rhode Island, she's very sweet. She's very, very nice. <laughs> she was totally understanding of our dog situation. And then an- another one that was <laughs> just rough was DC. Mm. <laughs> it's just we didn't know where to park, and there was a school right there, so we parked at the school. Okay. And then but it was at pickup time, so the parking lot was full, and then there. we're like, we're in this big white van that's yeah. just ordering. Never want to be that guy. Oh. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's probably not great to have at a school. But uh, and then we're we're walking up the hills to the high point, and the signs there are like, "Can you find the high point?" And we're like, "No, we're like, no. no. How about you just tell me where it is." <laughs> We couldn't find the grass was super tall they hadn't mowed in a while and so we were literally walking around for like 20 minutes because we're like it's flat here we can't find it and it was hot it was very hot hot day very muggy and we're like really? if we got like, our dogs it's in like a home depot we, we finally found it it took yeah, it took forever it took too long for us to find <laughs> we yeah. don't even know so- like is dc even a high point we don't know it's district of columbia but we're counting it (laughs) yeah we have skipped it (laughs) but that was that was bad it was just annoying like those two were just annoying yeah yeah um there's one that we definitely need to redo oh yeah um so we went from the coast the atlantic coast uh through virginia over into west virginia and we did the Maryland high point there, uh, which was Hoy Crest. And that was a pretty good hike. Um, we had clear skies. Everything was fine. And then from Maryland, we drove south down into West Virginia. And we were going to uh, do Spruce Knob. Yeah. And when we got down into the Seneca Rocks area, which is a really popular rock climbing area, it started to get foggy. There was drizzle. And we're like, okay, well, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Cause we're going up, I think to like 4,000 mm-hmm. feet. So, you know, we start traveling up, uh, in the van and it just got wide out conditions. Like we couldn't see more than 10 or 15 feet in front of the van. Wow. And so, yeah, we got to the top of Spruce Knob. We saw all these signs everywhere that were like, this view is incredible. Look at the fall colors. There's a three panorama. <laughs> and we're like, what? 
didn't see anything at all on the top of Spruce Knob. And it was not only like our visibility was limited, it was kind of creepy too. And we were there late in the day. So, I mean, it was already dark because we were in a cloud, but then the sun started to go down. So the drive down was terrifying. It was, it was treacherous. Just, it was dark. Oh, yeah. Just in the super dense fog. Um, and speaking of there's there's a lot of confusion at these summits for you guys like either where is it or i can't see <laughs> yeah yeah a couple of them, of them. <laughs> yeah well sometimes we don't adequately research ahead of time because when we're in the van moving from place to place to place like there's just too much you'd be inundated with yeah. all the different things you'd have to research so yeah. Well, I'll just generally say, okay, we're going to this high point over here. And then later that day, we're going to this state park. And then the next day, we're going to this state park. So it's like, it's just too much to research. You you kind of just have to wing it sometimes. And mm -hmm. to me, that also kind of makes the adventure uh, when you don't exactly know where you're going sometimes. It can yeah, definitely make yeah. it. And it adds some spontaneity, I'm sure, to your, For sure. your travels. And, you know, a lot of high pointers... Um, travel to a high point specifically for that and you know they'll do some touring in the area but the main attraction is the high point there's a lot of planning involved but there are some other factors as you mentioned involved in your travels there's also state parks local attractions there's just a variety of things yeah high points aren't specifically what we do in the van they're they're definitely something that we'll tackle like i said um if they're on our route but there's there's so much that we'll do, uh, whether it's um, like historic areas or the world's largest something or another. Like <laughs> we, we like the weird, obscure things um, okay. that are all on the back, back roads. Uh, yeah. We use we use an app called Atlas Obscura. I don't know if yeah, you've I've heard of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we definitely find quite quite a lot to do from Atlas Obscura, <laughs> and we'll definitely we'll build those into our plan as well. Are you guys members of the High Pointers Club? Yes. Yes. We sure are. As of Tuesday this week, we are members, and we plan on going to the next High Pointers convention. Yeah. Um, that was my next question. I'll see you guys there. You read your mind. Yeah. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll be there. Hopefully. Yeah. It's in Helen, Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we love Helen. We went there last year in the van. It's a really cool Bavarian town. It's, it's touristy, but it's... Um, it's a lot of fun. We had we had a really good uh, meal there, and there's a lot of German beer gardens there. Um, oh, so it's fun. just a really cool place. Oh, cool. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, I've been in Georgia, just never to that part. And I'm excited to do the High Point, too. Yeah. Yeah, Brasstown Ball. That's a really good one. It's beautiful. Yeah. So what's the next High Point? We have plans of just doing a loop up through the Blue Ridge Mountains. So there's uh, five more High Points that are all they're kind of in a circle. Um, and we think we can knock all five out in about a week and then come back down here to South Carolina. So we'll just make like a week of the High Pointers convention. We'll just add on like five or six days and we'll try to knock out those five high points. That's gonna be so nice. I love that part of the country. Yeah. Yeah, neither of us have, I don't think we've ever been to that part of the country before. So that's our, oh, that's yeah. what we're eyeballing next as like the next road trip route. Yeah. Just yeah. that little, little spot. Yep. Yeah, Appalachia. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So do you have any stories about 
um, unexpected events that happened on high points? Yeah, I've got one. <laughs> um, so we had a crossover from New York and we were headed toward uh, Mount Frissle. I think that's how you say it. It's in um, Massachusetts and it's on the very south central side of, uh, or sorry, it's on the southwestern side of Massachusetts. Um, it's right where New York, Massachusetts, and Connecticut all butt up into one point. Mm-hmm. Um, so while we were there in Connecticut, I was high pointing at that point, which is one of three high points that are not true summits within the state. So Connecticut's Connecticut's high point is actually the southwest shoulder of a mountain in Massachusetts. So when you do the Connecticut high point, uh, you got to go like three miles in, I believe it was. And then you start to navigate alongside the shoulder of Mount Frizzle. And then the Connecticut high point is just right on the side of this mountain. Um, it's not the true summit. And so I did that. Yeah, I did that. And then I kept on going because I wanted to go down to the tri-point, uh, tri-state point is what it's called. And that's where New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts all meet up at one point. And while I was down there at this concrete marker um, that shows you which state is which direction, I pulled my phone out and I was going to film it and uh, just make a little video like, hey, I'm here at the tri-state you know, point. And I started turning around to the north side and I was facing the marker. So I wasn't looking into the woods behind me. And all of a sudden I hear like the loudest rattle I have ever heard in my life. And I grew up near rattlesnake, you know, territory because I grew up in Kansas. But this one was different. It was just I could tell it was massive. Um, So I just, you know, said some choice words and then I jumped as far as I could. Uh, on the other side of the this concrete marker and I looked back and I've got it on film and it is a massive timber rattlesnake. It's like, I mean, it had to have been about four or five feet long and it was, wow. it was a big, big snake and it was all coiled up like it was about to strike. Um, so it was completely quiet, you know, up until that point, I had no idea it was there. It was completely camouflaged um, in the woods. And it shocked me. It startled me. I just got out of there as fast as possible. And when I was heading back, I crossed over the high point of Connecticut again. And there was a guy there and he had a dog with him. And I warned him. I was like, I don't know what you're planning on doing, but I wouldn't go that direction. And he, he was, um, you know, really grateful because he had planned on going down to the tri-state marker. Um, but he's like, nope, turning around. Um, I didn't know there were rattlesnakes in Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, he he lives around there, and he said it's not often that he uh, hears about big rattlesnakes like that on the trail. So, wow. I guess I just had a unique experience. I'll say that Connecticut high point overall, I thought was just it was kind of crazy. Like it was super hot. It was very very hot. There's some rock scrambling involved, and then I was wearing a mosquito net because the bugs were so bad. The bugs were just like completely thick. Uh, and then the rattlesnake experience, and I couldn't find it. This is another one I couldn't find. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm just bad at this. <laughs> maybe, maybe we need to do more research on the front end. Um, I remember going to the top of Mount Frissel and going to the Massachusetts top top of that mountain, but then I, 
I had a hard time like figuring out exactly where the Connecticut one was. Yeah. So, um, when we rolled into New Hampshire, uh, we had planned on me summiting Mount Washington and Nicole was going to take the dogs and hike them around the base. I think she ended up doing actually more mileage than I did going up to the summit and back, uh, (laughs) just hiking around, uh, down below. But once I got up to the top, uh, they have all sorts of amenities up there. There's a movie theater where you can learn about Mount Washington in the winter. Wow. Um, Cause it's got the worst weather in the world uh, ever yes, recorded there. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can learn about that. Um, there's all sorts of weather stations up there. There's a cafe, plenty of food. There's also an AT through hikers uh, lodge where they can hang out and change cool. their socks and get some chow. And then uh, there's also a post office, which I thought was amazing because one of the things that we did the first 10 months of our trip was send postcards out. So yeah. all the different places we went, we, we actually ended up sending like about 140 postcards in total. So we wow. were sending tons and tons of postcards. So for to get up on top of Mount Washington, it's this really unique experience. There's a post office there. Uh, I quickly bought three postcards and I was like sweating all over them because I had just done the hike and I wrote a couple of postcards and sent them out. And there's a, you know, like a postmaster, there's a mailman up on top and he stamps them right there and everything. It's, it's really wow. cool. They've, they've got a road up to the top. It's a really, you know, historic road. Um, oh, right. It used okay. to be a dirt road and then they just recently paved the last portion of it. So you can drive up. And then there's also a cog railway, um, which mm-hmm. we were talking, that would be a really cool experience. We said, next time we go to Mount Washington, we definitely want to take the cog railway to the top. It would just be, I mean, yeah. it'd be a great experience to do that. Yeah. Are dogs allowed up there? Yeah. I mean, if you drive up, yeah. you can have your dogs out. Um, the Are they hike... on the rail? Oh, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't remember. I think we'd have to, I don't know. We'd have to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because even like the end from the camp up there to the summit is a really tough hike. Like any of the routes are not dog friendly at all. So that's why oh, I didn't okay. go. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are dogs, people that have taken their dogs up, but they're like, oh, it's probably better not to yeah. bring your dogs. You can, but it's not recommended there because there's a lot of <clears throat> water and just like really steep steps that you have to go up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it would have just been a little harder on our older dog to try to do that hike. Of course. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Um, so you guys are, you mentioned that you've been on a lot of these high points that are along the Appalachian trail. Have you seen any hikers along the way? Yeah, we, uh, met a couple at Mount Greylock. Um, these cool. two guys were just, they were taking a break up at the high point and we just asked them what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Talked with them for about 30 minutes yeah. and uh, swapped contact info and followed them on the rest of their journey on Instagram. And wow. uh, they, they, one of them finished, uh, got to Katahdin around the same time. Like we were up there. So had oh we been gosh. able to get in, we probably would have like hiked with him or wow. met him up there. Things, but um we were cool. We were slowly paralleling the two <laughs> hikers. We were in the van 
they were both on foot. Yeah. And yeah. we met him in Massachusetts and we like just kind of came back and forth many times, almost crossed paths, I think, a, a time yeah. or two. And then wow. uh, obviously we had it a little easier than they did. Staying sure. in the, van. <laughs> the through hiker we met at Mount Greylock in Massachusetts, his name was Joel and his trail name was DIY. Okay. Because he had to DIYing all of his gear. Yeah. And fixing it. Oh, right. That's cool. (laughs) I forgot. Oh, that's so interesting. I love how they come up with their names or the trail gives them the name. The trail gives them the name. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So a lot of my guests, they do like state high points, county high points, city high points, low points, low points to high points. Do you guys dabble in any of that? We did a few unique high points while we were going up the eastern coast. Um, they're the tallest and the second tallest points on the eastern seaboard. Um, okay. So this this would be anything, I guess, to us, it's like anything that's within eyesight of the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we were in Maine, we did Mount McGuntacook, which we hiked uh, with the dogs. And that hike was moderately challenging it wasn't too bad um but when we got up to the top there's some spots where you can look out over the main uh coastline and you can look out over camden maine which is like just this gorgeous like small town in maine this coastal town um so that was awesome to go up on mcguntacook and then from mcguntacook you can actually look out across the main coast and see cadillac mountain which is a oh, very Acadia. popular, yeah, Acadia. It's like yeah. a, the tallest point in Acadia National Park. So we went from Agunticook and then we drove up and went to Cadillac Mountain. We actually went up it twice, once for sunrise and then once for sunset, um, which in the that's, winter. That's very significant on that mountain, right? Because it's like the first thing that the sun hits in the U.S. or something? Yeah, yeah correct. In the, in the winter, that's the first sunrise in the U.S., um, yeah, so we, cool. we were up there at like four in the morning for sunrise. And then we sat on the opposite side of the mountain for sunset. And we were there for like three hours freezing in the wind. <laughs> yeah, <that's cool>. um, <laughs> Worth it though. Yeah. Was, the sunset yeah. was incredible. Amazing. I have some wow. good pictures of it. Can you talk about some of your most memorable moments traveling in a van for the last 15 months? Yeah. Um, some of, well, I mean, they're all very different, but our first one was when we were in Mobile. Uh, we were there around Mardi Gras, and Mobile is where it started. So we got to experience the OG Mardi Gras. Uh, we drove the van across the Brooklyn Bridge in New York City through Times Square. Was... Don't recommend it. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I've never seen it, so I wanted to see it, and we were like trying to get out of town and. He's just like, we'll just do it really fast. And it was terrifying. Yeah. I had like five tickets chasing us in the mail for months after that. Like for. No, really? Yeah. For like running red lights and toll booths and yeah. things. <laughs> the van was just way too much to try to get around Times Square in New York. Yeah. Um, but then we drove across the country and we pretty much did it over again. Yeah. Because we then drove over the Golden Gate Bridge in the van. Uh, in San Francisco. Oh, no, that's, that's cool. That was cool. That was that's awesome. That was amazing. 
um we parked you know on the south end and got out and like hiked around it and everything did a lot of photos there it was beautiful mm -hmm. and then we got stuck in la rush hour traffic in the hollywood hills on a That's friday afternoon in the van it's just everything is like it's you know it's a 7500 pound 20 foot long vehicle so everything is magnified and all your starts and stops are all just magnified so that's that was an experience oh man but going back to maine i think one of our favorite and like most magical moments in the van was we went uh wild blueberry picking there's oh, like cool. there's a land trust um that just has wild blueberries growing and anybody can go out and pick blueberries so we were out there for like an hour and it's just on the side of this hill where it looks out um, along the coast with all the islands and you can see Mount Maguntacook and it was just so, oh, so beautiful. So cool. Um, it's like stuff you see in movies. Like, it was, yeah, such yeah. a movie moment. And the blueberries were like the best. They were tiny, like mm -hmm. tiny things, but they were so good. We picked blueberries <laughs> for like hours and we filled all our Tupperwares with them and then we ate them in our Greek yogurt the next week. We, yeah. And we yeah. fed them to we the, dogs, the like dogs, like everything. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, we meet really cool people on the road too. Yeah. Just like so many different people of different walks of life. Um, but when we were in Tombstone, Arizona, we were just walk walking around town, but we went back to the van for lunch and mm -hmm. we were sitting in the parking lot with the doors open and this older gentleman <laughs> drives up next to us in this massive truck and he gets out and he's all cowboyed up and <laughs> he pokes his head into the van. He goes, what are you doing in here? <laughs> <laughs> he saw the, the Marine license plate and he was in the army. Oh, yeah. back when he, was, he was giving me a hard time. <laughs> um, but then like, after talking to him for 15 minutes, he invited us out to his property because he, they winter down um, in Cochise, Arizona, and they operate oh. like a, like a, well, they um, breed Rocky Mountain horses down there and they allow people to bring their horse trailers out and they have full hookups so that you can camp there for as long as you want and just ride your horses out into the mountains that are like right in their backyard. Mm -hmm. It's just that an is... hour, hour ride out to the mountains, and wow. it, it was so cool. So we, we went out and stayed there for a night. Um, we and were. He's got a yak farm. Too. Oh yeah, and then he has in the summer he has a yak farm up in Minnesota, and, and he invited <laughs> us up there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. It's cool making those like local connections, and we always take them up on it. They're like, hey, you know, I live over here. Do you want to come camp on our land? Like, yeah, Some, we'll see where yeah. this goes. Safe. <laughs> yeah. Some people would wow. maybe you know, shy yeah. away from that, but we've found that we've met like the best people on the whole trip. We've met them on these random encounters. And yeah. like some people will find us on Instagram. Like we got invited to somebody's house in Texas. Uh, they reached out to us. They have the same van. And so they, they wanted to pick oh. our brains. Yeah. So it was cool to swap ideas and stay with them and be in a house for a little while and clean for up sure. and <laughs> relax. Um, and yeah. then like there was some random person that reached out to Austin on Reddit 
of all places and invited us to stay at their horse ranch in Georgia. Um, so it's, that's a perk of being on social media. It's it's another way to network and like meet people. And it's, it's been wild. I I would say we, we wouldn't have met half the people that we met or encountered on the road Mm -hmm. had it not been for all, you know, sharing everything on social media. So that, that definitely is a benefit because people will see, oh, you are here, and then they'll message you and ask you a question. How is that high point? Or how is that hike? Yes. Or can you give me some gouge on this national park? And yeah. sometimes it leads to, oh, how about we just camp together? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and another cool thing, too, is when we stopped and got the cabin in Washington for three months, we're like, this is our opportunity to invite some of the van lifers we've connected with out for, like, a refuge to shower cool. and do long. And so we had um, a couple of our friends come out and uh, stayed with us and we played games and just chilled. And that was, that, that was really cool awesome. to be on the other side of it. We were on the host hosting yeah. side of it for right. once. Yeah. Well, the people that do that along the Appalachian Trail are called trail angels. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess you could be I, like I, the equivalent for the van lifers. Van angels. Now that we've, <laughs> now that we've done this, if like, if, I had a space where I could allow, you know, folks who live in vans or buses or whatever, their cars to just come and congregate and like whether there's electrical hookups or maybe we just have like a shower and water for them. Um, it's definitely something that we've considered just having like a parcel of land and contributing back to the nomadic community. Cause there are definitely many times where we would have, you know, enjoyed having something like that. But there is there there are programs that people have now, uh, like Harvest Hosts. I don't know if you've heard of that one, but no. you can pay in for an annual fee. And Harvest Hosts connects uh, RVers and travelers with like local uh, farms and wineries and things like that. And in, in exchange for camping on their land, you're expected to like buy one of their products. So you buy a bottle of wine and then you get the okay. night for free on their land. Um, yeah, it's a really great idea. We haven't done it ourselves, but uh, we do have friends who do it and they really like it. That's good to know it's out there. Um, Mm -hmm. so speaking of social media, do you guys have any favorite outdoor adventure or van life book documentaries or podcasts that you listen to? Yeah. I mean, uh, aside from this one probably being our favorite, I would say, uh, <laughs> it's definitely our new favorite. Yeah. Um, cool. we like the adventure sports podcast. Uh, I Me believe too. you. Have, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I love uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great. I mean, there's like hundreds of episodes at this point. Uh, yeah. I believe the, the guy who runs it is out of golden Colorado. Um, and he just interviews all sorts of like extreme athletes. Uh, he also does van, van people, van dwellers. Um, he did a whole series on his Patreon called uh, Life Outside the Box. And so I, I ordered his Patreon. I listened to all of those because it's people who live perpendicular to society. You know, they live unconventional lives like going down and living in Central America or moving into a bus with their whole family and like homeschooling their children and things like that. Um, He interviews people like that. And and he interviews people who do incredible things to the point where I think like, what is next? 
like what could someone possibly do that would top this or he'll interview someone that right. like walked across the world, you know, obviously yeah. on land, you know, or they like motorcycled through all the continents and, and I'm just like, what's next? Like, this is it. And then the next episode comes out and I'm like, Oh my gosh, someone did that. Whoa. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's That's such a, great... a good podcast. I love it. And there's such a good variety on there, but uh, he's a super interesting guy. And, and I think he also works for um, athletic brewing. It's a non-alcoholic mm. uh, beer company. So um, That's cool. Yeah. And they also have a podcast too, athletic brewing. Okay. I'll have to listen to it. Um, well, if you like, if you like stories like that, um, another one we like is armchair explorer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Is that a podcast? So he, it's a podcast. He tells the stories of people like from his perspective, he'll, he'll wrap them all up into a really well, well done story and he'll explain yeah. what they did whether it's like riding motorcycles all across southeast asia or he did one on a man who walked the entire length of the amazon river um wow. like slogging through the river itself like you know avoiding caiman and jaguars and all this i mean it's just it's wild stuff and it sounds like it would be fictional but it's all true and he tells the story of these people so wow. it's very similar to the adventure sports podcast um okay. but it's it's bit it's a bit more of like a story telling format like he's yeah. just telling the tale of these people that is so cool well i always like to finish the podcast off by asking the guests what are the benefits that you get on a personal level from high pointing and then in your case from traveling around the country coming from the midwest I, I was very lucky because my grandparents every summer would take their grandkids on vacation and we'd get to drive everywhere. So I think that's mm -hmm. where my wonderlust came from. Like, yeah, I just have to see things and I love it. Like I, I don't want to be in Nebraska. I love <laughs> it, but there's not a whole lot to do. So, <laughs> and it's like eight hours from anything exciting. So, okay. Uh, it's just, I don't know. It's helped, like, I don't know, broaden my mind, I guess you could mm -hmm. say. Like, yeah. you you just learn a lot when you're out. And as far as high pointing, like, I, I feel like that's helped teach me, like, how to set goals and to achieve them and, like, mm -hmm. give you something to work towards and, like, motivation for continuing. And, like, I don't know. I think it's been really cool that I've been able to travel for most of my life and now i'm learning how to do it kind of on my own and with a partner and like it's just been a huge learning experience like i don't i don't mm -hmm. know how i can put it into a few words but like i know uh, it's so yeah. it's hard but yeah. i'd say the, the biggest thing is like it just kind of gives you a sense of accomplishment and you i agree feel great about yourself you're outside you're in nature Life is good. For sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I uh, I didn't really grow up traveling. Um, I did go to Canada when I was 15 by, by myself. Um, that was my first, like, foray out into a different country. Mm -hmm. uh, I went with – I met a friend there, but I flew there by myself as a 15-year-old. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. This is, there's a lot, lot going on out here. Um, yeah. 
And then uh, growing up in Kansas in the Midwest, like she said, there's just not a lot to do. So mm -hmm. I, had, I always had this urge, this drive to like travel and see more than the place that I grew up, even though it's home for us. Um, there's just a lot outside of the Midwest that we wanted to see. And before van life started, I had never been to the South or really like the East Coast. Um, I hadn't done any of New England. So just in the last year, I did 15 new states in the van. Mm -hmm which was just, I mean, it was amazing to just knock those all off the list. And then at the same time, we're out here high pointing, which is like a mental health and a physical health check all in one. Cause I agree. Mm -hmm. it's, it's good to stand on top of a summit because you've accomplished it and you've crossed it off your list and you've succeeded in getting to the top, whether it's like, you know, Mount Washington or Britain Hill down in Florida, <laughs> like, it, it doesn't matter. Um, mm -hmm. or Denali, I should say, you know, there's some that are extremely challenging, but we've found even some of the easier high points are still there. Like it's, it's great to check them off the list and say, we've been there. And, um, I've, I've heard this on the podcast a bit, but it really does take you off the beaten path. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. we love to do in the van, we go down the back roads. Like if Google maps gives us, the best, most efficient route, we'll pick the other one. That's all weird and windy. Oh, right. Yeah, the one that's like yeah. 40 minutes longer. Yeah. <laughs> that's because yeah. we're like, well, you know, the they, reason that, that yeah. it's there. That it exists. Yeah. yeah. So they, they really do just get you, some of them get you out in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, we, like I said, we always try to find like one or two cool things to do nearby. And it's just, these are places we never would have gone. Mm -hmm. Um, there's no national park nearby. There's maybe no state park nearby. Um, but that high point draws us to this geographic location and then we'll make a thing out of it. We'll like camp there for three or four nights in the van cool. and we'll do, we'll eat the regional food that they have. We'll meet the people who live there. Um, so it's just, I mean, it's special in that way. Yeah. We've grown a lot since we've started. I mean, I how bet. can you not? Like, <laughs> Without the stress of a job and all that, like you're able to focus on yourself and dive inwards and like we have each other to work through some stuff and it's just, it's been amazing. And we've seen so much, met so many incredible people. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Tune in every Monday to hear new stories from High Pointers. For more information on the official High Pointers Club, visit highpointers.org. To contact the editors of the High Pointer Club magazine, Apex to Zenith, email newsletter at highpointers.org.